Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. Tonight, it's been, uh, I think it's been a little while since we've done this, so we're going to have a uh, message on healing. We're going to do a little bit something different. Usually, as I told you uh, several times in the past few weeks, on Wednesday nights, we are typically going to be in the Gospels or in Psalms, or we are going to do a healing service. And usually when we do a healing service, at the end of that, I'll lay hands on the sick. We're not going to do that tonight. We're going to do something different. We are going to have uh, an opportunity for you to respond to the message, but it's not going to be healing line. All right? So, uh, and wow thin crowd tonight. I think maybe a lot of the people that need to hear this (laughs) are not here because they're in a condition where they need to hear this. But anyway, this is something I want you to participate in anyway. Uh, That's (laughs) if we're going to start. Let me start with this. This is a little bit kind of out of left field. Uh, Yeah, this, uh, anybody follow this Aeromexico plane crash happened, what, a couple days ago? A plane crashed on takeoff and, uh, Pretty serious crash. Plane burst into flames and everything, but everybody survived. Did you see this? Anybody see this? Yeah. Uh, Pretty big deal. 103 people on board and no fatalities. There were some hospitalizations. There were some burns. There were some injuries. Uh, But there was, uh, I I was looking today, and there was actually video. I don't know if there's actual video from the external, but there's video from somebody on the plane they're filming out the window as the plane is taxiing down or racing down the runway to take off. And the, the, the camera continues to roll as the plane rolls over or crashes or whatever. There's not much to see. It's very confusing, but you can hear things. Uh, has they, did anybody see this video? Anybody know where I'm going with this? The, uh, you, you're watching this, and it's just a person. And you can see the weather's pretty bad. You can't, I can't tell what's going on from the video, but you find out in the article that it's actually raining and hailing. And they're still not sure what caused the crash, but they think the engines may have ingested so much hail that the water caused the engines to shut down. This thing basically skidded off the end of the runway and came to rest 300 yards from the, from the end of it. As this, you're watching this out the window, and the person filming it had a seat just, just uh, at the leading edge of the wing. And you're watching this, and you're seeing the rain, you're seeing everything else, and then it looks like it's going into fog because the view just gets worse and worse, and you hear some murmuring, and you hear a baby cry, and then all of a sudden you hear this tremendous crunching sound, and then everything starts to jiggle. And the very next thing you hear, and you hear it, you can look at this, I'm not making this up, you can can easily find this today when you go home, find this tonight. You hear a very strong and authoritative and calm voice. And this wasn't in the article. It's funny, there's no mention of this because there's nothing but noise and uh, confusion except for this one voice that says, in the name of Jesus, in el nombre de Jesus. And then there's a bunch of noise and confusion. Everybody survived that crash. And it made me think, going back to one of the very earliest messages, I was sitting in a meeting with Kenneth Copeland I don't remember where it was, but I was, uh, this, was, this was probably going way back to uh, my junior high days. I mean, this was, this was uh, way back there. And I remember him telling this story where he and Gloria were in a car, a taxi, I think, 
uh, or maybe they were just being driven somewhere, but in front of them there was a crash. There was a, there was a car that went up on two wheels and started to roll over. And he said the thing that came out of his mouth was Jesus. And he heard his wife saying it with him, Jesus, help them. And he said, we saw that car tipping over and then just go right back down on four wheels. Now, I'm bringing this up for a reason, we're, and we're, we're going to develop this through the night. But it comes back to this idea that we've talked about before, that what we need to be doing is training ourselves so that when we are in that crisis moment, no matter how suddenly it comes up, what comes out of us is Jesus. What comes out of us is the Holy Spirit. What comes out of us is words of faith. Because it's, it's easy enough to say those things here. It's easy enough uh, to say those in an environment where we're all saying them together. And that's all good. There's nothing wrong with that. But if we are not practicing and training ourselves to say those things, you know, it's kind of funny what comes out of people in moments of crisis. Sometimes it's funny. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's embarrassing. You know? <laughs> yeah, I'm there. I'm, I was going to tell a joke that I told in here once before, but it's too long to tell, and I've got a sermon to get through. But it's kind of funny. You can say you're all ready for this stuff, and then the moment hits, and something completely different comes out of your mouth. And most of you know what I'm talking about, right? So... Uh, I want you to remember, going back over the last couple years, three years or so, that we've been reading through the Bible, that God made promises to his people. And, if you, and, and, and uh, you see the promises, you see them spelled out, but they're probably uh, gathered up most neatly in the book of Deuteronomy when God gives them this list of things. Look, if you will do this, I will do this for you. If you will obey me and all of my laws, if you will obey me, if you'll keep this covenant with me, I will make sure that you'll never lack anything in your barns, in your vats, in your fields. Your livestock will be healthy, and I'll put none of the diseases of the Egyptians on you. I'm the Lord who heals you. But then turns around and says, but if you disobey me, if you dishonor this covenant, uh, this covenant then, I'm, then there are things that are going to uh, come upon you just like they come upon the rest of the world. You're going to be cursed just like the rest of the world. What do, you, what do I mean by that? Cursed just like the rest of the world. The world is under a curse because of the curse that was pronounced, declared back in Genesis chapter 3. The fall of man, right? Sin brought this into the world. And God meant these promises in Deuteronomy, and they were great promises. Man, I'm going to repel your enemies. I'm going to make sure you never lack for anything. I'm going to heal all your diseases. So I'm going to protect you. I'm going to bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. But what was, the, uh, what was the problem? As we read through, as we continue on through the Old Testament, we see that the sad history of Israel in the Old Testament is that they didn't. They simply did not keep covenant with God. They didn't obey him. And therefore, they went through periods, you know, sometimes for years, sometimes for decades, of blessing when they were under a good, strong leader who really loved God. And then they would come under a lazy or evil leader where the whole nation would suffer. Because as the king went, so went Israel. And they would be under a curse. And ultimately, they just continued to deteriorate over the years, over the decades, over the centuries. Until the hard truth hit them. We have not kept covenant with God. And as we just read uh, not too long ago on Sunday morning, it's spelled out. We can see it. We can see the pattern just reading the Old Testament. 
But as we read the book of Romans, it's actually spelled out pretty clearly. The reason all that happened is because ultimately man is unable to obey God in the way that he deserves to be obeyed. Unable to honor God in the way that he deserves and commands us to honor him. Why? Romans tells us that. Because of the sin nature that we inherited from our first father, Adam. Right? This is, you remember all this, right? This is pretty clear. So God said, well, if you'll just do these things, I'm going to bless you. Uh, and God knew. But I believe mankind had to live through all this stuff before we would ever believe that we were unable to do this on our own. But we were. We were completely unable to live a life that honored God because of our sin nature. And therefore, therefore, we were disqualified from the promises of God, which were good promises. But they were promises made to the righteous. To the righteous. So, then we come to the New Testament where we see Christ living the life that God deserves. That living the life that God commands. He was, he was God in the flesh, but the life he lived, he lived as a man but a man without sin. He was born without the sin nature, and he never, ever made a decision like Adam did to cave in to temptation and dishonor God and disobey God. Christ did it. He was the one man who fulfilled God's covenant perfectly. He fulfilled man's side of God's covenant perfectly. And there's the beauty of Christianity is if you and I have expressed faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, not just his sinless life, of course, but his death on our behalf, his burial, and his resurrection, then you and I are, and this is the key phrase, we are in Christ. We are in Christ. Now, in uh, 2 Corinthians... And whenever I, I refer to a scripture on Wednesday night that we're not too far away from on Sunday mornings, I'm almost hesitant. It's like, oh, I don't want It's a spoiler. But we're going to go ahead and read it anyway. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19, it says, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. For all the promises of God in him are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Man, that is a great verse. That's a great assurance there. If God promised it to the righteous, it belongs to all of those who are in Christ. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. So if you are in Christ, and if you can find a promise, if you can find any reason to believe that God wants something for you, you can stand in faith for that thing for yourself. Right? Okay, so we come back to a simple question. Does God want us healed? Has he promised? Has he made any sort of promise? And we just discussed that. Uh, for one thing, we have just what we talked about in Deuteronomy. God makes his will clear. If you're going to do these, if you will do these things. I've given you this law. You know exactly what I expect of you. All you've got to do is do them. I'll make sure you're never sick. I'll make sure you're never poor. I'll make sure you never lack. I'll make sure you're never attacked. You'll never be in defeat. You'll only be victorious. 
This is what God wants for us. And we think, well, God, God is bigger than that. He's bigger than worrying about us not being sick or not being poor. He transcends all that. Listen, he made us. He knows what's important to us. He knows what is valuable to us. He knows there are things that we need physically in this world. And he's a, his, uh, the greatest identifier, the greatest thing I think we can say about God, the way he is self-identified, is God the Father. And what father doesn't want these things for his children? Okay? I understand his ways are higher than our ways. But the reason we as humans ever come to the conclusion that health is good and sickness is bad is because that's absolutely true. And we are made in the image of God. Sickness is not some mysterious disguised gift. It's a curse. It's a result of the curse. And God doesn't want that for us. Are there worse things than sickness? Yeah, like hell. Okay, And so God will even teach us in sickness some things that will uh, develop us and change our character. But that's not God's will for us. So we find these promises. We stand on them. And, we, and, and like you, like many of you, like most of you, I am convinced that God's perfect will for us is health and healing. So let me read this verse. If... Like me, you are convinced that it's God's will to heal because this is the first big hurdle to get over. If we are dealing with sickness in our bodies, and again, most people in this room tonight have been in this church long enough to know that if there's sickness in our bodies, it's not because God has willed it. It's not because God has ordained it. It's because we're being attacked. It's because we've just been exposed to something in this fallen world. All right? Uh, it's not because God wants, us, wants it for us. Whatever the reason is, I believe we always have a right to stand against sickness and believe for healing. Do you agree? Okay. But, here's a verse that probably you have heard. It's uh, one of the favorites of people who uh, want to disagree about this. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 20, says, Erastus, this is Paul, closing out his letter his second letter to Timothy here, Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus I have left in Miletus sick. And, and every cessationist, every uh, anti-healing Christian in the world, wants they, they, this is a scripture they know. Well, Paul left Trophimus sick in Miletus. And if Paul, the super apostle, left one of his fellow workers sick anywhere, it's obviously, obviously true that God doesn't desire to heal everybody. Now, how do you answer that? My first answer is this. This is a phrase I shared with you. I don't remember how long ago it was. It's been at least a year and a half, I think. That you don't throw away a hundred things you know because of one thing you don't. Read a verse. I don't know why Trophimus got left sick in Miletus. I don't know. I, I, can I suggest possibilities? Sure, I can. But he doesn't tell us. All he tells us is, when I left, he was sick. He was there. It doesn't say that I tried to heal him and couldn't. It doesn't say that I laid hands on him and nothing happened. It doesn't tell us that he died from his sickness. It doesn't tell us anything other than when Paul left Miletus, Trophimus was sick. We can't read too much into that. But what people want to read into that is, if the miracle ministry was, was, to, was uh, continuous... And if it's always God's will to heal, no way would Paul have left anybody sick anywhere. 
Isn't that funny? When Jesus himself was unable to do miracles in certain places. Remember, there he could do no mighty work. And what was the reason he could do no mighty work? Because of the unbelief. I'm not casting aspersions on Trophimus. I have no idea where he stood in terms of his belief for healing. I'm just saying there's numerous possibilities. And because we don't know why Trophimus was sick, we don't throw away everything else. We know about healing and God's will, right? Now, we go back to this. I'm going to read several scripture passages, and then we'll wrap this up. Beginning in Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 40. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, him is Jesus here, kneeling down to him and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus, moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he strictly warned him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone. But go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city but was out, uh, outside in deserted places, and they came to him from every direction. Now go to Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 31. Again, Departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of the Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. Then they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to put his hand on, on him. I want you to notice that. They begged him to put his hand on him. And he took him aside from the multitude, and he put his fingers in his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Then, looking up to the heaven, he sighed and said to him, that is, be opened. Immediately, his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was loosed, and he spoke, and he spoke plainly. And then he commanded them that they should tell no one. But the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it, and they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. He commanded them that they should tell no one. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 40. So it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him, begged him, begged him to come to his house. And he had an, for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. Now, a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any came from behind and touched the border of his garment and immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you and you say, who touched me? But Jesus said, somebody touched me, for I perceived power going out from me. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, and falling down before him, she, cl- she declared to him in the presence of all people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. He said to her, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now in another account of this, we have uh, the detail that she had said to herself, she had already made the decision, if I can only touch the hem of his garment, I'll be whole, right? Uh, 
while he was still speaking. Remember, all this happened while he's on his way to heal a girl who's dying, Jairus' daughter, 12 years old. While he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, do not be afraid. Only believe and she will be made well. When he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the father and mother of the girl. Now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, Do not weep. She is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. But he put them all outside, took her by the hand, and called, saying, Little girl, arise. Then her spirit returned, and she arose immediately, and he commanded that she be given something to eat. And her parents were astonished, but... He charged them not to tell, sorry, he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Now here's three miracles, clear healings, uh, one resurrection really, where Jesus told them in no uncertain terms, don't go telling people what just happened here. And I want you to see that in all three cases, Jesus was physically present, physically touching them. And in all three cases, he was begged to come to them. Just pointing out the similarities. He was pleaded with. He was begged. We need your physical presence on this scene to do something nobody else can do. To heal. All right? Now, Jesus didn't rebuke them. He went. He's good. And they were expressing a degree of faith by saying, if you come, you can do this. But in all three of those cases, he tells them, don't tell anybody. Now, go to Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 5. Now, When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this, I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed. Notice, he's speaking now not to the centurion or to the centurion's servant, depending on which gospel you're reading the story in. He says to those who were with him, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and will sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Let's break down this last couple statements he made. When he's talking about many coming from the east and the west, he's talking about the Gentiles. Look, the centurion was not Jewish. He was a good man. We get a little more detail about him later on. I happen to believe when, when, he, t- when he tells him, uh, hey, look, uh, I'll, I'll come heal him. You know, this, this is a good man. We have it on, on the authority of the people who are telling Jesus this. This is a good man. He deserves your attention, whatever. 
he comes, I got this servant who's sick, and Jesus says, hey, I'll come heal him. And he tells him, no, you don't need to come because I understand authority. He's a centurion. He's got 100 people under him. So he's a man who has people under him, and he's also under authority. He's used to following orders. But he recognizes the power in Jesus, and he understands the difference between authority and magic. You don't need to come. I know you have this power. All you got to do is say the word. Now Jesus, who went with at least three people who begged him to come, I'm begging you, touch me to cleanse me of my leprosy. I'm begging you to come and heal my daughter. Come, come, come. He does it. But he tells them in all three of those cases, don't tell anybody about this. The centurion says, come and heal my servant. Or or, my servant is sick. And Jesus says, I will come. And he says, you don't need to come. Just speak the word. Then Jesus halts the people who are traveling with him and says, see this guy? I've not encountered faith like this anywhere in Jerusalem. And then proceeds to explain that it's faith that matters. The centurion is a Gentile. And he says, there's going to be many coming from the east and the west who will sit down with Abraham, etc., et al. But there's going to be many of the Jews who will not. That's what he means by that statement. When he says sons of the kingdom, he's not talking about the church. He's talking about the Jews. People who were born into this are going to reject Christ. They're not going to express faith in him. They're going to be cast into outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth. But people who express faith like this centurion are going to sit down with Abraham. They're going to experience the exact eternity that God envisions for his people. The way I would break it down is this. When Jesus encountered people who absolutely required his physical presence, physical touch, a visible, instant physical interaction to produce a miracle. He did it, but he told him to keep quiet about it because he did not consider that kind of faith the kind of faith he wanted people to emulate. But when the centurion said, you don't even need to come, just say the word, he got everybody's attention and said, this is what I'm talking about. This is what faith is. When you just realize that all I have to do is speak to it. It's not the touch, it's not my physical presence, it's not my face, it's not the aura that is flowing out of me, it's the power of my word, and if you will take me at my word, if you will simply believe me and receive what I'm saying to you, you will receive these things. He gets their attention and says, look at this guy, when he tells everybody else, shut up. Now, I want you to remember and notice that when Jesus went to heal somebody, he did not look for qualifications. When they requested a healing, he didn't say, uh, well, I would accept. You got this sin, you got that sin, you got this, you haven't been to a synagogue in a number of weeks, you have not, uh, you've not tithed, you've not done this. He didn't run down a list of their sin. All, he, he simply healed them. Now, can we assume from that since he healed them that they were qualified in terms of their righteousness no we can't we can assume just the opposite because after he healed them he would say now stop sinning don't don't do that sin anymore so he's not looking for qualifications but the qualification for receiving any promise from god is what it's righteousness what do we have what has been given to us what have we been clothed with as a gift 
the righteousness of Christ himself. We are actually in Christ. So when we go before God with a need, and right now I'm talking about a need, a physical need, a healing, we need to understand that he views us as in Christ. In terms of our righteousness, who he sees when he looks at you and when he looks at me is Jesus Christ. Our sin is not an impediment to receiving healing. Everything that we have from God is a gift. We don't deserve any of it. It's a gift. Now I want you to stand up. I'm going to do a couple things here really quickly. Number one is if you have never made Jesus Christ your Lord. Let's do that first. Because the promises that God has made, he has made to believers. He's made to those who have bowed their knee and accepted the finished work of Jesus Christ. So if you want to get saved, if you want to commit your life to Christ, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do this. You know what, right now, just come up here. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. If you need to give your heart to Jesus Christ. What, in front of everybody? Yeah, in front of everybody. It ain't going to take long. And everybody, everybody's been through it anyway. Anybody need to make that decision? Heavenly Father, if there's anybody who needs to make that decision. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.